0: Well, right, you're in good hands now, Pittsburgh hockey fans, and actually, you've been in good hands all along. They just needed just a tainty, weensy amount of help. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dayon Kavacovich of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and/or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this. The Penguins are back at practice today, 11 a.m. at Cranberry, back in action tomorrow night, 7.08 p.m. in Detroit. And when they take the ice against the Red Wings, they're going to be doing so fresh off what I feel, and I don't know that this is even an opinion at this point, were the three best games this team's played all season. Now take that in the context of a team that's been really streaky, really slumpy, and they've had streaks. They've had 7-0-1 uh, and others in that range, but they never felt very convincing, did they? There was never that sense that, oh yeah, now they've figured it out. Now they've put together the best version of themselves or that looked like a playoff-type performance. It would show up sporadically. November in Winnipeg, December against the Rangers at home, but it was never something where you said, whoa, whoa, hey, where's that been? What's that all about? But that's happened over these last three games. It started in Denver. I reported on DK Pittsburgh Sports uh, yesterday in my column that some kind of meeting, some kind of collective gathering involving the team's Leadership at the player level occurred before that game against the Avalanche, the 5-2 to victory at Ball Arena. I don't know who. I don't know what was said. I just know that there was some kind of something in advance of that. Well, whoever was involved, and I take a pretty safe guess here, and i bet you can too, it worked. It worked. Because they went out that night and played just beautifully. They did everything they've been needing to do for such a long time that I'm almost cringy at having to reflect on it. But then they went into Dallas almost as impressive, maybe in some ways more impressive, the very next night against the stars and gave them everything they had in what wound up a 3-2 loss. They felt they deserved points. they did deserve points they didn't get them. What do they do? No pout, no nothing fly back home take on the Capitals, have a 3 nothing lead early in the third, have everybody in the building waiting for that lead to be blown, have that lead, in fact, be blown and have it seem like a normal thing. Only for Evgeny Malkin to deliver one of the best individual moments, I feel, of his already brilliant career by coming up with that spectacular steal and rush and blistering wrist shot past Darcy Kemper with a minute 20 left. And he celebrated it like it was playoff overtime. And on the bench, Sidney Crosby celebrated it the way Gino did, coincidentally or not, back in Nashville when Carl Hagelin dropped that puck into the open net. In game six, and Gino was practically punching Phil Kessel in the face with excitement, Sid, in his case, headbutts, accidentally, I'm sure, Ricard Raquel to his left. These, these are your guys. People, they've always been your guys. Those two and Chris Letang, they've always been your guys. And they've been there all along. All they needed was something, anything. To come about from the rest of the roster. And if you listened carefully to the comments that were being made by Sid and Gino throughout the past week, but notably on that trip, that was their emphasis more than anything else is that we need everybody. We need, how did Gino put it, not just first line, not just first goalie. They needed everybody. And if you listen to Gino now, you can hear that little bit of that kid-type excitement that you're used to getting from him when things are going really well for the team, and he's always been team-driven. I asked Gino just about the shot that he took on Kemper to win that game the other night, and the words and all the likes and everything else that he throws in into his second language – don't pay that much attention to that. Just listen to his tone here in his answer to me. When I have like position like this, I always look like low blocker feels, you know, like it's my uh, my best shot I think, you know, and like it's hard to, I think, goalie, you know, when you left you like usually right, you shoot like like lower uh, glove, like lefty, lower blocker, and I shoot like and I think if I fake, leave with like the right side and shoot low blocker, it's like work and like well, again, last game I have like two on one with, with Zach and like I'm trying to do the same move, but it doesn't work. But some goalie, I think it knows like, I, like I'm shoot like this. But again, like I'm glad it's like a uh, like, great shot. But again, like it's always like I'm shoot like uh, I try shoot like a uh, low blocker. All season, I haven't heard that. Not from any of the three. Not from Sid, not from Gino, not from Letang. And the reason for that is is because they knew what they were surrounded by. They're not going to say that. They're not going to even hint at it on or off the record. They're just not wired that way. But they knew it. There's no way they couldn't have known it. Now that they're finally seeing these contributions come, now that they're finally seeing other people step up, Gino's talking about Ryan Palings' breakaway goal, which, by the way, was really, really pretty, more than his own. Gina was talking about Chad Ruweedle's ridiculously precise, deadly wrist shot that he scored on on his own rush in that same game Saturday night more than he was about his own goal. And Sid, and maybe the most telling sign of all, got out of the room quickly, which he very, very rarely does. Why? He recognizes situations in which he wants other people to get the credit. He wants that. Starting to table. I'm back, J1Q. This segment's brought to you by Family Table, a local company that brings delicious food to busy families. They offer family-style complete meals or a la carte items like lean proteins, perfect for muscle building and weight loss. If you aren't local, gift cards are also available for your Pittsburgh-based family and friends. Go to family table.com. PGH.com and use the code DK20 for 20% off and free delivery on your first order. Order by noon today for Thursday delivery. Today's J1Q comes from Patty who says, DK, Brian Rust is one of my favorite players and I never question his effort, but why? Does Mike Sullivan keep putting him on the top line when Ricard Raquel is obviously the better choice? Try Rust on the third line like they did with Raquel. Well, Patty, first off, a a couple of—I wouldn't call them corrections, but just amendments to what you said. or Updates is actually the better term. Because Saturday night, and really to an extent in the two games in Denver and Dallas, Sullivan did bump all three of his right wingers around. He had guys moving all over the place, and that included, at times, Raquel on the third line. But on Saturday, you also saw a little bit of rust there as well. And that, in turn, has resulted in a chance for Mikhail Granlund, who's shown next to nothing since coming over in the trade from Nashville, uh, to be on the second line alongside Gino and Jason Zucker. And for what it's worth, he's shown... Okay there. Uh, the greatest skill that Granland has always brought to the table, whether it's with him struggling now or when he was putting up 70 plus points for the Predators a couple of years ago, is his passing. And if there's one skill that Gino values more than any other, it's that his wingers. Find a way to get him the puck when he wants the puck. And he wants the puck right now only eh, all the time. Okay? So having Granlund over there with him is something that might make some sense to Rust specifically. He's got only 16 goals in 72 games for the season, a big disappointment for someone who was uh, himself banking on Being at 30, he's been at a 30 rate for a while now. So this is, yeah, it'll be surprising if he even ends up at 20. And in the past 12 games alone, he's only scored once and that was into an open net. So things aren't going great for him. The reason for that, as I keep emphasizing anytime I bring up Rust to anybody, is that he's got an 8.5 shooting percentage. His career figure prior to this year was 12.7. That is a massive drop. That's one-third of his efficiency just, boom, disappearing on him. He's still getting a lot of shots. He's still getting a lot of chances. He's getting a lot of general looks. He finds ways to get open. He does a good job of receiving the puck, and then he'll miss or he'll put the puck right into the logo. And it doesn't seem like there's any real in between. He's struggling. He's fighting every situation in which he gets the puck. I feel like that's actually carried over even into his routine play now, meaning his passing, meaning his ability to beat guys wide the way we'd seen him do for years. It is a mental struggle for him at the moment. The only bright side that I can offer to this is that he is capable of contributing to your team as a third-liner. He'll never hurt you defensively, to say the least. And along the way, if he can just poke one or two through an actual goaltender, he is more likely than anyone else on the roster, even Jake Gensel, to go on a big goal-scoring tear. So if he's ice-cold right now and he were to score, I don't know, a handful of goals in the final week of the regular season and carry that into the playoffs, that would be a very, very attractive scenario. Appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.